We're going to our Bibles today, the scripture that was read for us this morning, Matthew 28. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter 28. This short mini-series, it's coming to an end. We started it last weekend, and we'll conclude it today. Because he lives. Because he lives. How does the song go that we just sang? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Praise the Lord. This is a message of hope, right? The fact that there is an empty tomb, that's the first time God's absence was actually good news. <laughs> like I heard it last weekend. It was the first time that God's absence was actually good news. The empty tomb is there as a memorial to the fact that Jesus lives today. And I love what Hebrews 7 says, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So what we're looking at in these stories post-resurrection, we're just looking at a few scenes post-resurrection of Jesus interacting with his disciples to understand what did the resurrection mean for them? How did that change their story? And really ask the question, how does that then change my story today? And when you look through the Gospels, it seems like the crescendo of all these things actually climaxes not just with the empty tomb, but with what Jesus commissions the disciples to do thereafter. You follow me? The, the Gospel story doesn't just stop with, oh, people saw an empty tomb that Jesus was alive. The Gospel story ends with Jesus appearing to them and commissioning his disciples to go into all the earth. That's really the Christian. Because he lives, we go. So go with me, Matthew chapter 28. If you're there, say, I beat you. No? Okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28. We're looking at verse 16. Starting there in verse 16, the Bible says, and I'm reading from the New King James, the Bible says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. This was an appointed place. It was prearranged, foreordained. Jesus had just a, a couple of chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 26, I think it's verse 32. He says, hey, after three days, I will arise and go before you into Galilee. He's already given them this anticipation. In fact, that morning when the angel appeared to, to the women who had gathered at the tomb, they said, hey, Jesus is going before you into Galilee. So this was an anticipated place. It was supposed to create a swell of expectation. But when you read the story, maybe some were, were filled with great expectations, but some were filled with something else. That for, for some, let's take a look. In verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. When they saw the resurrected Christ, they worshipped him. They bowed down before him. There were two responses. One was full of worship and adoration. This is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. But some were full of doubt. Some versions actually say, it doesn't just say some doubted, but some were doubtful. This word is a very interesting word. It's, it's, it's talking about shifting between two opinions kind of vacillating. It reminds me of what uh, Elijah challenged Israel with on top of Mount Carmel. How long do you halt between two opinions, right? It's this idea that there, there's an uncertainty about going all in in one direction or the other. In fact, it's only used one other time in the entire New Testament, and it's in Matthew chapter 14, 
where Peter, who is full of faith to walk out to Jesus on the stormy sea, but then takes his eyes off of him. And when Jesus rescues him, he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? In other words, this idea of doubt, it has the idea that it can start full of faith, but isn't quite sure if it wants to finish full of faith. And so there, amongst the 11, amongst those who were walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus, amongst those who had started full of faith, there were some that weren't quite sure they wanted to finish full of faith. And they had the resurrected Christ right there. They had the one who, who, who conquered the grave, who, who put sin and death in its place. They had him right there, but some doubted. Which tells us, by the way, just a quick side note, it tells us something about what worship really is, right? The fact that worship and doubt are kind of put in, in opposite corners of the ring, so to speak, it tells us a little bit of what worship really is. Worship is more than just a program, amen? Worship is more than just uh, 10 minutes on a stage or, or this or that. Worship is about fully going all in to say, yeah, he is my Lord and I'll follow him to the end. That's what true worship is. That's what the appeal at the end of time is. Uh, you know, fear God, give him glory, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. It's the appeal to go all in, to not be full of doubt, to not hold back in reservation. Yeah. So as we look at this story, among the very ones who walked and talked with Jesus, some are hesitant to commit. Some are not sure if they want to choose to go all in. And yet... What follows in verses 18 and onward is what we know as the Great Commission. Jesus gives the Great Commission to not just those who worship him, but even to those who are full of doubt. Is that possible? You know, sometimes I wonder what's so great about the Great Commission. Well, could it be it's not just the content of the commission, but who that commission is given to? Whoa, that God, Jesus, the risen Christ, would actually give the great commission to them. And that's, I think that's why it starts this, the way it does in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know what he's doing? He's telling these disciples whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they're willing to say, yeah, Jesus is the risen Lord or not, Jesus is going to declare something that's true about him. Hey, this commission I'm giving to you is not based upon whether or not you believe, but it's upon the one in whom you can believe. Amen. Because of me, because I live, you go. Right? It's not because you're a, a giant of the faith that you go. No, it's because I live, Jesus says. Because all authority is mine, you go. The rest of it says this in verse 19, go therefore, right? Go therefore as the natural conclusion to the fact that Jesus has all authority in it, on heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age Amen. Go, therefore, not because of you, but because of him. Because this is true of Jesus, 
because he lives, because he conquered the grave, because all authority belongs to him. That's why you and I can go. We can go and make disciples of all nations, lead others to a knowledge of Jesus, not just on an informational level, but in a relational level. That's why he says make disciples. He doesn't say just set up a classroom and teach them uh, you know, information transmission. This is talking about relationship development. Because of that, you can lead others to a trusting relationship of following the Lamb wherever he leads. And as you cultivate these relationships of trust, as we, as we cultivate relationships of, of mentoring and discipling and influence, of life-on-life -life influence and discipleship, we can baptize others, educate others, lead others into the entire revealed will of God. Because he lives, we go. Because he lives, we go. And I love that assurance at the very end, that lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, which means that as we go, he goes too. Amen? <laughs> as we go, he goes too. In spite of our hesitation, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our reservation, authority belongs to Jesus. This commission is ours, and his promise to us is ours as well. As we go, he goes. I'll be with you to the end. It's amazing. The Great Commission is given not just to the worshipful, but even to the doubtful. You may be sitting here today realizing, you know what? I'm not necessarily all in. Jesus is speaking to you too. Go! <laughs> because I live, go! It's really interesting. In Mark chapter 16, there's a similar picture. Go ahead and flip there with me to the end of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 16 is a similar picture of the, the doubtful hearts of the believers, but with a little bit more emphasis. Mark chapter 16. When you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. All right. Mark 16. You know, there's kind of this repetition of a theme. When you start seeing things repeated or words or phrases repeated in Scripture, you realize that the, the Bible is trying to make a point. In, uh, in verse 11, you get the idea. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, that is Mary Magdalene, they did not believe. And then in verse 13, and they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Okay, so Mark is just kind of laying it thick. They were not believing they were without faith. They just, they couldn't grab hold of it. And then in verse 14, what is the condition of his followers? It says, later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief. And what is the next few words in your Bible? And hardness of heart. Oof. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Here is the church, right? Those that, that Jesus has spilt his blood for, those that he has invested time with and, and has come from heaven to earth with, and they are worthy of rebuke. They are unbelieving, and they have a hardened heart. The word there is the word for heart, Cardia, okay, that, that kind of sounds familiar, but hardness is, is, it comes from the word sclero. Have you heard of that sclero, like arthrosclerosis? Yeah, the hardening of the heart. Things just kind of blocked up, hardened up. 
not flappable, <laughs> not, not flexible anymore. They're unbelieving, which means, you know, th that they don't just disbelieve that they're without faith, but they're refusing to. This rebellious heart, this hardened heart is actually akin to the Old Testament's um, use or idiom of, of hearts that need to be circumcised, right? Hearts that need divine heart surgery. It's a hardness that comes from lacking moisture, the moisture of the Holy Spirit's influence, the softening of a new heart of flesh. And in verse 15, what does Jesus tell these disciples? In verse 15, the Bible says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hold the phone, okay? Who is it that Jesus is, is talking to? He's talking to people who are worthy of rebuke. He's talking to people who have been disbelieving, refusing to be persuaded. He's talking to people who need heart surgery, and he tells them, go into all the world. Amen. He tells them to go and preach. That word preach, it's caruso. It's, 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 it's what's uh, expected of a herald who is on formal business, official business, to declare victory of the war that the king won. They're supposed to have the authority saying, hey, the victory is won. I saw it. And he's telling unbelieving, hardened heart followers of Christ, supposedly, to go and preach like a herald. <laughs> go and tell. Does this mean that Jesus wants us to fake it till we make it? Is that what's going on here? Now, I don't, I don't believe Jesus is asking us to be disingenuous. I don't think he's asking us to just go through the motions or be hypocritical. But I do believe that we see a divine prescription here. A divine prescription that as we go for God, we will in fact be changed by God. You follow that? I think I put that on the screen just to make sure we impress that upon our memories. Oh, there it is. As we go for God, we will be changed by God. Man, when God calls us to ministry, when God calls us to share the gospel, when God calls us to go therefore and make disciples, he has in mind the blessing of others and the salvation of our own souls. Uh, did, did we put this on the screen? Yeah, 1 Timothy. I've just been, I've been dwelling on 1 Timothy this week. And in chapter 4, you know, Peter, or not Peter, Paul is, is expressing to his apprentice, Timothy, hey, look, this is a ministry that you've been entrusted with, you know? And he tells them, pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching in, in, in your ministry, in your sharing of the gospel. Preserve in the, I'm sorry, persevere in these things, for as you do this, notice what Paul says, as you do this, as you share, as you serve, as you minister, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Did you catch that? You know, I, I've often realized that God has called me to full-time gospel ministry because this is where God could save me, okay, and keep me saved. And this isn't just true of, of the professional clergy. This is, just, this is true of all who engage in the mission of saving souls that it's not just for those that you are seeking to save. It's actually the lost right here that needs that saving too. 
Paul says, hey, as you do this, you'll save yourself as well. I remember realizing this for the first time. As a senior in high school, we actually, our our academy was in in California, and our small class was somehow miraculously uh, able to raise enough money to go to Hawaii on our class trip. We had a great time. We had an awesome time. And the Sabbath that we spent there, we spent at the, I think it was the, I think it was the Central Church, Central Church there. And I I bet you had lots of senior classes back in the day. (laughs) But, um, on Sabbath afternoon, the pastor at the time, he took us out for, for street ministry, uh, singing songs on the street corner there in Honolulu. And, um, and some of us had these, you know, these tracks. I don't, we didn't have glow tracks back then, but there were signs, pocket signs and things like that. And I remember coming back, debriefing together, and some of our classmates and I, we were just realizing, whew, we had no idea when people would actually stop, would actually converse. We had no idea what to say or how to approach people. And I remember hearing one of my classmates say, I need to pray more. <laughs> and this was a classmate that, you know, she was boisterous. She was, you know, uh, social and things like that. But when it came to spiritual things, it wasn't so much on the forefront of her mind. But because of her experience of trying to share with others, she realized she needed a deepening of her own experience. That when we seek this is the lost. We realize that we are lost <laughs> and we need the salvation of our own souls. In going for God, we will actually be changed by God. The Great Commission isn't just for the lost world out there, but for the hardened heart right here. Not only for other salvation, but it's also for our own transformation. Wow. And when you kind of keep reading through the gospel stories and seeing the resurrected Christ interacting with the disciples, you realize, wait, this is kind of a running theme. The disciples were not perfect. They were commissioned, yes, but they were not complete. In Luke 24, you know, we were in Luke 24 last week uh, looking at the road to Emmaus, but further on in that same chapter, Jesus says to them, he appears to the disciples there in the upper room. He says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And notice what it says in verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Do you realize that the disciples that Jesus commissioned still didn't get the scriptures? (laughs) They still needed their understanding to be opened. Yeah, they they had been three and a half years in seminary training with Jesus Christ himself, yet they were still novices. They still were slow of understanding. The ones to whom Jesus entrusted his mission to, they needed a more thorough, revived comprehension of the word of God. Question, have you ever felt that you have lacked knowledge? Have you ever felt that you have lacked, man, I, I just don't, I wouldn't know how to respond to that question. I don't know how to fully explain this doctrine or this aspect of Christ's character. Have you ever felt that because of your lack of knowledge, you were not qualified to share your faith with others? I want you to hear something. The disciples that Jesus commissioned needed more understanding too. The disciples that Jesus commissioned to help others understand, to help others read the word, these disciples needed to study the word for themselves. 
And of course, you know, we, we, we can only give what we've first received, but we ought never to feel that just because we have little knowledge or training, that we are disqualified from the work of God. Please, if, if you've told yourself that, if there's a mental script in your heart that, that has repeated that over and over again, man, rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is commissioning. We go because he lives. Right? Go therefore. Go not just because you're learned, not just because you've got a degree, not just because you've got certification, but go because I live. Go because I live. I mean, I think about the demoniac that Jesus heals in Mark chapter 5. You know, he says, go, go home. You know, this demoniac wants to get in the boat and go along with Jesus. But Jesus says, go home, tell your friends all that the Lord has done and how he has had great mercy upon you. Did that demoniac have much training in evangelism? Soul winning? Did he know how to lead people through the steps of decision? No. But what he told was his story. And he knew that right well. What are the woman at the well? What, is, what, is, what was her testimony? Uh, come see a man that told me everything I did. And you know the results, the harvest of that? A whole city came to hear Jesus by the end of a few days. Oh, now we believe, not just because of what you said, which wasn't all that compelling of a story, but because of his word. Man. Jesus commissions even those who need more understanding, even those who need more training. Awesome. Awesome uh, quote here from Christian Service. He who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge. Okay, so that doesn't give us permission just to stop with the little that we know, right? While seeking diligently for further knowledge, will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. What? The more he seeks to impart light, the more light he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others. And I, I'll tell you, I've tried when not knowing very much. And sure, I've stuttered. I've kind of not made sense with my own comments. Don't worry. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. What an assurance. There, there's more to this quote. Let me just stop right here. I remember going on a mission trip with Share Him. I think that's what it is. Maybe at the time it was called Global Evangelism. Anyways, it was a Share Him mission trip. We went to Indonesia, 2004. Can you believe it? 2004. We went with a group of other, of other college students from PUC. And I remember we were given laptops. We were given projectors. We were given entire scripts of sermons to preach. And you know what I told myself? This is great, but I am not going to preach anything that I don't personally feel convicted about. And you know what that did for me? It forced me to study. While others were hanging out, like going to uh, the, the other restaurants there around our hotel and stuff, I, I was just, man, I don't, I don't understand this. How am I supposed to, if this doesn't make sense to me, how am I going to make it make sense to others? And so for me, what that did is it deepened my conviction. It became plainer to myself as I tried to explain it to others. The rest of this quote, it says this, the more we use our knowledge and exercise our powers, the more knowledge and power we shall have. Amen and amen.
as we go for Christ, we'll actually grow in Christ. <laughs> as we go for God, we will be changed by God. Man, if that's the case, then sign me up, right? Sign me up. Speaking of which, let me just kind of insert a little commercial here. We'll, we'll get back to the message in just a moment. Um, our evangelism committee, we've been meeting over the last several months. Obviously, some of our members have had bigger fish to fry as they've been getting ready for a wedding. But um, <clears throat> some of the plans that we've been making are, are, have just been asking ourselves, what can we equip the church with to make it easy, to, to remove the barriers for people in sharing their faith? And one of the resources that we've, we've tapped into is something called Thunder in the Holy Land. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of these DVDs, but there's 26 30-minute episodes that goes through a short Bible study, and really they're designed so that you can not just, uh, you know, hey, go check this out. You can actually share this with a friend and watch it with them, talk about it. They're little discussion guys thereafter. Anyways, I just wanted to kind of plant this seed. Pastor Egan and I will share a little bit more in weeks to come. But I wanted to plant the seed that we finally have these DVDs on hand. Praise the Lord that a couple of years ago, I was actually blessed to go to the production studios, Questline Productions, and actually be embedded in these videos as the host in these videos. So as you're sharing these with your friends in, in weeks and months to come, you're actually getting to share your pastor you know, giving these Bible studies and stuff. So it'll be an opportunity. You don't necessarily have to know it all. Amen. But... As you go and share, it will become more plain to you. The truth of God's word, the beauty of his character, and the relationship that forms as you watch and view these things together, that's really the, the secret sauce. Amen? It's that relationship of mentorship. It's that friendship discipleship. Lots of ships in that sentence. Sorry about that. Anyways, okay, let's get back to this. John 21, it's the end of John's version of the gospel, right? We've gone through Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. And we've seen that in all of these post-resurrection stories, Jesus commissions a group of believers who don't have their act together, right? A group of believers who's doubtful. A group of believers who's got hard hearts. A group of believers who really are slow to understand and they need a deeper understanding in Scripture. And then in John, how do we find the followers of Jesus? In John chapter 21, verse 2, the Bible says that Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And then in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Might seem simple. Might seem just kind of like a, a small detail in the narrative. But this is Peter. He's been through a lot in the last 48 hours or so. This is Peter, whose memory is still pierced by the fact that he denied his best friend. This is Peter, who feels as though, oh, all that I thought we were headed towards is not what we were headed towards. And he's saying, I am going fishing. And what did the others say? They said to him, hey, we're going with you also. In other words, they weren't going on mission. They were going fishing instead. What's the implication? You know, the most negative possibilities here would cast Peter and the other disciples as being completely ready just to give up entirely on the mission of making disciples. 
of reverting to their former occupation to find some sort of solace, some, some reality that would kind of bedrock them in, in a sense of significance. Oh man, everything that we hoped is really not what we can hope in now. And again, Peter, especially overwhelmed with his own failures that he had felt maybe disqualified him from even being of any use to God, even if there was a mission to fulfill. Maybe Peter was so down and out on himself because of that. Or it could, you know, just be a little bit of a softer interpretation here. Maybe Peter and the disciples were just realizing, hey, we need food. We need to make ends meet. Let's just kind of go back to what we're used to in terms of making our livelihood, trying to meet our physical needs. And maybe you know the feeling of, of either of those scenarios feeling like your past has totally disqualified you from even being of use to God. Or feeling like, man, I've just punched in a 50, 60 hour work week and I have no energy to be of use to God. Feeling like uh, my priority right now is just to kind of take care of our, our physical needs just to make ends meet. Hey, look, you may have given up on mission. You maybe have given up on yourself we may be consumed with just trying to run the, the, the life grind, the routine of everyday life. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus lives. Right. And because he lives, we go. Just because you've given up on yourself doesn't mean that you cannot go. Just because you're consumed with other things doesn't mean that you cannot go. Why do we go? Because he lives. Because he lives, we go, and he commissions each of us to follow him, to feed his lambs, to invest our lives in seeking and shepherding lost lives. And you know what else he'll do? If you know the rest of the story of John 21, man, those nets, they went out fishing, their nets were empty. Whoa, familiar story, right? Worked all night, caught nothing. Nets empty. Man, isn't that a metaphor for so much of our own efforts? But by the end of that, Jesus says, hey, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. Their nets are filled with, what is it, 152, 153 fish. They bring them to shore, but you know what? Jesus is already cooking breakfast on the shore. Jesus didn't need that. He just needed to remind us that as we go, he'll fill our nets all along the way. Yeah. So here's the summary. The Great Commission is given to not so great people. That's what's great about the commission. It's given to you and me. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4? That we are earthen vessels, jars of clay. There's nothing special about us, but we hold this truth that is like a treasure, a message of a risen Savior who is returning. The Great Commission is given to not so great people. You may be unbelieving. I may be hard-hearted. We may be untrained and unqualified, discouraged and dispirited. But going on mission isn't about us anyway. It's about him. So, how many of us today, whether online or in this place right here, how many of us today want to say, yeah, I'll surrender my hang-ups and hesitations. And because he lives... I will go. Amen? Amen. We're going to do something really special today. We're going to enjoy foot washing and communion. Now, I realize that 
that these things, um, especially in this time of pandemic, may not necessarily be of comfort for everyone. And so if the foot washing isn't something that you're comfortable with, we invite you to stick around and just stay here, maybe meditate on John chapter 13, the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And as, as we transition into the ex experience, we'll, we'll have um, the fellowship hall is designated for those in households who want to experience this together, so families and households in the fellowship hall. Men will be, I believe, in the youth room, and then women in the, in the primary room. There should be signs, if I'm, if I'm completely wrong. Primary room, youth room, and fellowship hall. And again, we're going to encourage you to wear masks, um, to be you know, as, as safe and appropriate as possible. We've got plenty of hand sanitizer all around. And then we're going to come back in here. This isn't a rush. We're going to come back in here and try to sit as much as possible in every other row so that there are, there's space for our deacons to distribute the emblems. Now, again, when it comes to foot washing and communion, I, want, I just want to invite you. We're going to have a prayer here together. But I just want to invite you to engage these things as a way of saying to God that you want your heart to be softened with humility in the Holy Spirit. And that you want unbelief to give way to genuine faith and true worship. As your feet are being washed, as, as you're ingesting the bread and the juice, let it be a sign of surrender and let it be an opportunity to behold the Lamb of God who has risen today. All right? So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being the one and could it be that you, you believe in us more than we believe in ourselves? And that even in our weakness, you see something that you can make use of. Thank you, Lord, for choosing the weak things to shame the strong, the foolish things to shame the wise. Lord, we don't boast in anything of ourselves. We boast in knowing Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for the great commission that you have given to not-so-great people. And Lord, we want to say that as we go for you, we want to be changed by you. So bless us now as we participate, as we find partners to, to engage these meaningful actions with, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us with your Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hard hearts and give us true faith and genuine worship. We pray in Jesus' saving name, let the family say, amen and amen. God bless you.